0: CyberBit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Cyber conflict flares in the subcontinent. Australian political parties as well as parliament are subjected to attempted cyber attacks. A new strain of malware is being distributed through messaging apps. Microsoft pulls crypto-jacking Windows 10 apps from its store. Britain's NCSC is rumored to have concluded that it can mitigate Huawei risks. Facebook gets a harsh report from Westminster. And a hacker claims a higher motive for his breach, but still wants Bitcoin. Bitcoin. From the CyberWire Studios at Data Tribe I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, February 19, 2019. The website of Pakistan's Foreign Ministry was rendered inaccessible over the weekend, probably by a denial of service attack. Speculation regards the attack as probably originating from India. Last week's terrorist massacre of 30 Indian security personnel in the suicide bombing of a convoy moving through Jammu and Kashmir's Puwama district may have prompted the cyber-attack. A Pakistani terrorist group claimed responsibility for the bombing. It's worth noting that low-level cyber-conflict between India and Pakistan has persisted for years, and that many of the actors on both sides have been patriotic hacktivists, not necessarily operating under state direction. Australian Prime Minister Morrison said yesterday that three political parties – Liberal, Labour and National have been targeted by sophisticated foreign actors. The attempts came to light during investigation of attempts on Parliament systems. Chinese intelligence services are the leading suspects, according to reports in the Sydney Morning Herald and elsewhere. China's Foreign Ministry denies any involvement and says reports of Chinese attacks are both baseless and irresponsible and are likely to poison possibilities of future harmonious cooperation between China and Australia. Security firm Avast reports a new malware family, REITSPoof, spreading through instant messages. REITsPoof, which Avast says is now being updated daily, combines various file formats and multi-stage attacks that give it unusual versatility. The attack is delivered through such instant messaging clients as Skype or Live Messenger, where what Avast calls a highly obfuscated visual basic script carries a hard-coded, encrypted CAB file. That file is expanded into a digitally signed executable, which in turn installs a downloader. Avast says research is in its early stage, and that little is known about the attacker's methods or motives, still less their identity, but Reet's looks like a malware family that bears watching. We often hear stories of how unauthorized access to an organization begins with a simple phishing email, and many organizations have implemented combinations of technical solutions and training to prevent outsiders from gaining access. Egal Goffman is head of security research at XM Cyber, and his team has been tracking infiltration techniques that begin with access to a low-level user's machine within an organization, and it pivots from there
1: let's say somebody uh, malicious out there was able to gain full access to user machine located uh, in the corporate headquarter and the adversary uh, main goal is stealing uh, let's say some kind of credit card information from a database server located at some remote location and however the database network is isolated from the user headquarter network and it's not easy accessible from regular users so the headquarter network and the Database network are completely isolated, and and there is no the user from the headquarter is not able to uh, log in to the database network because the adversary has full system access. He can easily locate the user mail application, and he can hijack all email session and messages, and inject uh, let's say a malicious URL or document with uh, some kind of a macro inside the document, and to trick the user uh, to click uh, on this document or uh, URL. So. Basically uh, the uh, adversary hijack mail correspondence a real mail correspondence and he's is not, not faking anything and this is the strong side of this attack this way instead of tar- targeting user outside the organization by sending you know phishing emails the adversary can manipulate real correspondence between a compromised user and the target user so in, in our uh, example let's say the target user is one of the IT personnels we can easily trick the IT person to click on an injected uh, URL or document. He will not suspect that anything is wrong and open this URL or document. And then this action will direct, uh, for example, uh, the user account of this IT personnel to some uh, internal watering hole website, exposing his uh, high privilege credentials, and uh, of course bypassing many of the link detection and application control mechanisms. Now, at at this stage, the adversary has a high privilege user account, He can use this account to connect to some kind of a jump host or some kind of a privileged access workstation this is a a microsoft term for a jump host and from there he can obviously access the isolated databases and basically this is a game over once he, he were able to gain himself a high privilege user account he can pivot the network basically that's that's the game over and the target was achieved so an effective solution in detecting email messaging defense mechanism will include some kind of a malware sandboxing. All messages uh, messages and attachments transported through the organization mail server, let's say for, a, for example a chain server, should be scanned for malware, viruses and spyware. And if malware is detected, the, the messages should be quarantined or, or deleted.
0: That's Egal Goffman from XM Cyber. Following Symantec's discovery that the apps were installing Monero Cryptojackers in users' devices, Microsoft pulled eight Windows 10 applications from its store. The unwanted apps included Fast Searchlight, Battery Optimizer, VPN Browser Plus, Downloader for YouTube Videos, Clean Master Plus, FastTube, Findu Browser 2019, and Findu Mobile and Desktop Search. Symantec says that the applications were nominally produced by three developers – but that evidence in the source code and adjacent domains suggest to them that in fact all eight apps are the work of one developer or group of developers. Reports in The Telegraph and elsewhere suggest that a report on Huawei's security issue and the company's suitability for participation in 5G networks from the UK's National Cyber Security Centre will be very far from the harsh condemnation that had been widely suspected. The NCSC is believed to have concluded that the risks Huawei poses are manageable and that GCHQ sees its way clear to mitigating them. On Friday, MI6 head Alex Younger said he wanted a proper conversation over giving Huawei a role in 5G networks, but the specific concerns he expressed concentrated on the dangers a monopoly would present. So Huawei is not out of the woods by a long shot, but if the rumors about the NCSC's report are borne out, that will be good news indeed for the company. Facebook has not fared as well in Westminster. The Digital Culture, Media and Sport Committee has published its final report on disinformation and fake news, and Facebook figures prominently, both in terms of content moderation and data handling. The report says in its summary, quote, Facebook intentionally and knowingly violated both data privacy and anti-competition laws, end quote. The report recommends that tech companies be given a compulsory code of ethics to be overseen by an independent regulator who could take legal action against companies it found in violation of the code. It also recommends that social networks be required to remove known sources of harmful content, including proven sources of disinformation. For its part, Facebook says it would welcome helpful regulation. It's also mooting the idea of setting up its own tribunal, a kind of 40-person Supreme Court that would adjudicate disputes over whether content was being unfairly judged in violation of the social network's terms of service. The black market is, as many have noted, after all, a market. It follows familiar laws of supply and demand. As supply of any commodity rises, prices drop, and it seems clear that user information is now a relatively low-priced commodity. At the end of last week, Gnostic Players released his third tranche of PII, mostly user credentials, taken from eight databases Gnostic Players claims to have hacked. He's asking just over 2.62 Bitcoin for the almost 93 million users' data. We note that ZDNet, which has been in touch with someone credibly claiming to be Gnostic Players, is treating him as a singular he. At any rate, that's about $14,500 dollars. Gnostic Players, who trades in the dream market, had earlier offered 16 databases with 620 million users' data and another batch of eight databases containing 127 million users' information. 2.62 Bitcoin doesn't seem like much for 93 million users' data, but money isn't the sole object. Gnostic Players told ZDNet that his goal is twofold. He wants, first of all, to sell a billion records and then go hide out in some degree of comfort. It seems, at the rates he's charging, that such comfort may be more squalid than luxurious. Cozy, no doubt, but frosty and frayed around the edges. Second of all, Gnostic Players wants to contribute to The Downfall of American Pigs, a manifesto that accompanies his offerings, suggests why he's got it in for the Americans, who are, we think, generally a lovable crowd, although we admit that we can be something of an acquired taste. Mr. Players is offering support for a convicted Apophis Squad hacker. George Duke Cohen is a young and talented boy, Mr. Players writes. Instead of giving him a chance, the U.K. government sends him to prison for three years. And not only that, after he's through with three years' detention at Her Majesty's pleasure, the Americans are lined up to take a whack at him, as we noted in a discussion of his indictment last week. The U.S. charges could get Mr. Duke Cohen a further 63 years in club fed, That's a high-end estimate of his sentence, but still, it is, after all, a long time. So bad on Her Majesty's government, says Mr. Players. May this upcoming release of dumps serve as a reminder, he writes. When countries claim to respect their citizens, they have duty protect them. Anywho, Mr. Players thinks this is unfair. If he is not given a fair justice during the upcoming days, weeks, years, more data will be released. We note that Gnostic Players is selling, not dumping the data he's ripped off. So let justice be done, or more data be sold, at least until Mr. Players makes enough altcoin to retire to wherever he wants to go, because, after all, political altruism has its limits, and those limits are probably somewhere south of $14,500. That much change will get you a nice commercial cleaning franchise in some markets, Although admittedly, that's probably more conventional work and social utility than it's fair to expect from a hacker of Mr. Player's mad skills. Is it us, or does Mr. Player's diction sound kind of shadow brokerish? Not of course that he's a shadow broker, but where have these guys been these days anyway? Wealthy elites has been missing you at the Davos. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. He's also my co-host on the Hacking Humans podcast. Joe, it's great to have you back. It's great to be back, Dave. We've got an article here from the Naked Security blog over at Sophos. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is written by Paul Ducklin, friend of the show. Yep. And the title is Apple Fighting Pirate App Developers Will Insist on Two-Factor Authentication for Coders. Right. What's going on here?
2: Okay, so... Apple has this uh, this this program called the Enterprise Certificate Program. Right. Which is a way that allows, let's say you wanted to develop an app specifically for the CyberWire. Okay. But you didn't want to put it into the uh, App Store, and you didn't want to wait for Apple to approve it, and you wanted it to do a little bit more nosing around the phone for security purposes of your of your company data. Right? So this is an internal use Internal use only. For CyberWire employees, Correct. let's say. Okay. Um, now, Facebook and Google were recently... Chastised for abusing this uh, abusing this program by distributing apps to other people right. outside of the company, that Apple said, "Well, this doesn't amount to an employee, but they were doing a lot of." Uh, I like the way this article puts it. This article describes the app as way too snoopy, <laughs> for, <laughs> right, or, or you know, just too snoopy for the for the for the App Store. So they they use their enterprise certificate, and Apple. You know, essentially grabbed Facebook and Google by the necks and shook vigorously and said, this will not be the case. You will not be abusing this. Right. Right. So it turns out that this program can be used to develop rogue apps. It's essentially the the closest thing that Apple has to uh, the Android equivalent, which is let uh, allow apps from other sources. Right. To sideload apps. Yeah, sideload apps and, yep. or for developer options. Right. Okay. Um but in order, for, in, in order for me to do that, I still have to have a certificate with Apple so that Apple can at some point in time in the future revoke that certificate like they did for a day with Facebook and Google mm-hmm. and make the app not work. Okay. So if I know your password to your to your enterprise certificate.
0: Uh, my, so I, I'm, a de- I'm developing for CyberWire. Right. Somehow you compromise my credentials. Correct. Okay.
2: And I, I go out and I, I generate a uh, an app that is malicious and then sign it with your enterprise certificate. Oh, I see. Then I can distribute it and it will come up as a valid app, mm-hmm. right? So what, they're, what Apple is going to start doing is requiring two-factor authentication so that that particular abuse case can't take place anymore. So now when I try to go sign, sign the app with your certificate, you'll get a message on your phone that says, here's your code, and I don't get that message.
0: I see. Right. Okay. Well, this seems uh, non-controversial to me, but uh, there are some folks who aren't very happy about it.
2: The article goes on to talk about uh, a couple of recent cases that are not necessarily from the developer community. The article talks about uh, an attorney who's suing Apple with a class-action lawsuit, saying that he and millions of other people have been economically damaged by two-factor authentication. (laughs) Uh, I think the crux of his lawsuit, if I what, remember... What is,
0: was, what is his hourly rate if, uh, no. <laughs> if the two-factor is a, is an economic loss? But but go he, on. He said it was taking
2: five <laughs> minutes for every time he needed to use two-factor, which is a ridiculous amount of time. That, okay. I, I find it incredibly <laughs> difficult to believe that. It yeah. never takes five minutes. Yeah, okay. um, if you're security conscious and minded, you should always ask if two-factor authentication is available. And if it isn't, Maybe you should reconsider using that product or service. Right.
0: Well, yes, I I think that's an excellent point that that I would make the argument that that should be part of your buying decision. Yeah. Is two-factor available with your product? Right. If it's something that's important to you.
2: Again, Dave, we're dealing with a huge education problem uh, for the general populace of, you ask people who don't live and breathe this stuff every day what two-factor authentication is. I'll bet you get 50% of the people who've never even heard of it. Yeah, that's true.
0: All right. Well, I, I would say uh, I'm on uh, Team Apple with this one. Yeah, I, I am too. <laughs> I think it's probably probably for the best in the long run. And, and why not? Make uh, certainly developers have some privileges that other folks don't when it comes to potentially putting dangerous yeah, stuff out there,
2: especially for developers. Yeah. they should they should absolutely require developers to to use uh, two factor authentication. Yeah. I, I think this is a no brainer. Uh, the general populace, the user community, not using two factor authentication. I, I can I. I and more sympathy for that. I am as I much.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it pains you to say it, doesn't it? You can't I at
2: least be, understand. You're right, you can't think the difference yourself. between the two populations. Okay,
0: all right, fair enough. That's <laughs> as far as we'll get you. All right, Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining it's us. It's My pleasure, Dave. Our lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program with the largest network of trust centers.